If you've got your Bibles, can we just open them up real quick to Romans chapter 5? Can we open them up to Romans chapter 5? If you do not have your Bibles, no worries, no judgment here. Uh, we're actually going to make it super easy for you and put them on the screen real quick. Here are the verses. So we're in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. Here we go. Uh, and if you don't know anything about Romans, let me just explain some of the backstory, some of the, the context here. This is Paul, who was one of the most famous uh, people uh, in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, most scholars believe he wrote over three-fourths of the New Testament. So this is one of, of the guys when you're talking about Scripture, when you're talking about Christianity, when you're talking about our faith. And he's writing to a church in Rome. And this passage of Scripture that we're about to read is explaining some fundamental doctrine which just basically means uh, fundamental things that we believe uh, to this church because he wants to give them a healthy understanding of why they do some of the things that they do and why they're struggling for, with some of the things that they're struggling with. Uh, and, and this letter to Romans is one of the most uh, famous letters that we have in all the Bible because it paints so clearly a picture of humanity. And this, my friends, this is, this is so good, and it's going to help us kind of understand a little bit uh, more about who God is, but also where we are currently. So let's read uh, this scripture in verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people. Why? Because all sinned, to be sure. Sin was in the world before the law was given. So let, let, let me break this down for you real quick. Uh, what it's basically talking about, if you're lost for a second, you're like, man, I do not know what that crazy dude is talking about. Let me explain it to you just a little bit. One, it, it says that, that sin came, in through, came to this world through one man. Who was that one man? It was Adam, right? So the Bible teaches that sin happened because of that crazy story you probably heard before of Adam and Eve and the snake and the apple, and they were naked, and they were crazy, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're kicked out of the garden. All this stuff happened, right? That same story is what Romans chapter 5 is saying. That's how sin entered into this world. It was because Adam and Eve decided to make a decision that was against God that now we all have to deal with sin, right? That's a, that's a perspective shift because if you talk to most Christians, especially millennials, what they believe is that we sin because we choose to sin. And that's true. That's true to a sense. But this passage of scripture in Romans paints a totally different picture. It says we are subject to sin because Adam sinned and sent forth a curse that now inhabits us as people. That's an interesting perspective shift. And as, as we talk about mental health, that's something I'm going to want you to kind of understand is that maybe sin entered to the world, to you, to me, to all of us. Maybe sin came this way by something that wasn't our decision. Maybe the things that you're dealing with, maybe the pain that you're dealing with, maybe it doesn't necessarily have everything to do with you. Maybe there's something larger at work that we need to kind of understand. So it says that sin came into the earth through one man, and because of sin, now death has entered the world. And it says, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. And the law was, was what uh, Old Testament scholars call the Ten Commandments. That was the law. So it says, even before the Ten Commandments, you had this thing called sin because of Adam and Eve. But then it says, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So where there's no rules, rules can't be broken, right? To be sure, sorry, nevertheless... Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. That's when the Ten Commandments were written. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come.
to come. That's Jesus. Let me explain for you this deep theological text because we could spend 70 days talking about this and we still wouldn't reach the surface. But let me kind of let me kind of connect this as it pertains to tonight. What this scripture is basically saying is from Adam and Eve, sin has entered into this world. And no matter what you do, you are subject to sin. You ever heard somebody say like, uh, why does why does why does good things happen to well, why does bad things happen to good people? Have you ever, like that's the that's the biggest argument against Christianity. If if God was real, why do bad things happen to good people? According to Romans chapter five, verse twelve through fourteen, there's no such thing as good people. See what this passage of scripture is basically saying is that everyone inherently is struggling with this thing called sin. There is this giant battle of good versus evil, and we are caught in the middle, usually siding on the side of the bad guys. We are inherently subject to this law that we can never fulfill. So what I want you to understand about this passage of scripture is that it says that that sin entered the world through Adam and what began to happen is that our bodies and this entire earth, our souls, everything that we are was subject to sin, to brokenness, to hurt. So my question to Christians and to people out there is if if everything in this world is subject to the law of sin, if everything uh, out there, if if we can be people that struggle with temptation and sin, why in the world would we think that our minds aren't being attacked in the same way? If the Bible says that everything is struggling with this battle versus good and evil, why in the world would we think that the Lord stops when it comes to our minds? See, I believe that tonight God wants to open some perspectives. I believe that tonight God wants to set some people free. And I believe that tonight some Christians are going to begin to carry something different called truth to help change this narrative about mental health. I got a question for you real quick. I got a question for you. Uh, anybody ever, anybody ever had a, a, a part-time job? Anybody ever have a part-time job? Just raise your hand. Let me see you. Okay, pretty much everybody. So you still live with your mom. Okay. No um, so you, you ever have a part-time job? You ever have a part-time job? And did you ever, like, work with somebody who was just, like, way into their job? You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, like Enneagram would call them the overachiever. But, you, like, you're working at Lowe's, and they're acting like this is CEO corporate, Coca-Cola, making millions. Not that it's not Christian to work hard. I'm saying we're, we're working hard. We're, like, diligently seeking the Lord and doing work, what you call work, I call worship. Like, everything is great. But they're just way too serious about their job. And you're like, something happens, something breaks, and you fix it. And everybody on the team is like, oh, we fix it great. And they still tell the manager, you know what I'm talking about? I just had to be honest. I just had to be honest. Like, if they remind you of Dwight from The Office, that's who I'm talking about. It's like, bro, you are on a 10 right now. Like, what is happening? This is not a thing. Uh, and I call them the overachiever because they, they act like your part-time job at Lowe's is your purpose. And I'm like, man, I just work here, buddy. You know? you know the worst thing about overachievers, though? Well, there's a couple of bad things. One, they tattletale. Uh, but... But, but two, you know the type of overachiever that came to work sick? And they almost wore like a badge of honor. Like, hey, man, I, I, don't, I feel fine. You're like, hey, you look pretty bad. Your nose is red. You're sniffling. You literally brought a, a leave D into work. Like, what? And they're like, no, I'm good. <coughs> I'm fine. They like get mucus on your sweatshirt. You're like, yo, this is not, why are you even here right now? It sounds like the flu. And they're like, no, I'm just good. I got, I got to power through because I love my job. This is awesome. <laughs> 
it's, it's horrible because what they don't understand is they're making everybody else uncomfortable, right? You don't do good work when, you see, when you're sick. You do horrible work and makes everyone else upset. But because they're the overachiever, they're like, you know what? This is awesome. I work even when I'm sick. Make me the manager over the deli department. It's going to be great. <laughs> if this is you, no offense. We can talk about this joke later, okay? <laughs> but, like, I don't know why that is. Even, even at church, like, like. Like, when people come to work sick, I'm like, you are less Christian today than you were yesterday. Don't come to work. I got a kid. Like, what are you doing? This is crazy. They're just like, I got to power through because that's what hard workers do. People. Um, I feel like sometimes, though, I feel like sometimes, especially when it pertains to mental health, this is the picture that a lot of us inhabit. Maybe we don't exactly know what's going on. We can just feel like something's not right. We're struggling through life. We're trying to make it. And everybody else can see that something's off. Something's a little bit weird. Something's not right with us necessarily. And and they can see it, but we think we're hiding it so good. No, I'm just powering through. I'm strong. This is what strength looks like. Just pray it away and everything will be okay. See, I think so many of us confuse strength with health. It's not strength to live life sick, especially mentally. It doesn't make sense. We're not not trying to obtain strength. We're trying to reach health. And if you don't understand, what you'll do is you'll start to power through moments that don't need to be powered through. You'll start to work harder when you really need to relax and rest. You'll start to try to figure things out when really you just need to find a little bit of peace. And so often when it comes to mental health, we don't stop to assess how we're doing. We just keep going because we think we can make it. See, the truth is, when we talk about mental health, There's so much stigma surrounding it that I think that we miss the the, the whole truth that's behind it. Because just like we talked about in Romans chapter 5, if everything is subject to sin, your mind is too. Which means what? Your mind can be sick. You can be sick. I love what it says in Romans chapter, uh, sorry, in Psalms chapter 51 uh, verse 5. This is what it says. It says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Or, or in other translation, it says, I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity. I love what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, what I'm trying to explain to you, young people, is that your mind is under attack. The same way you can be tempted by sin, your mind is receiving the same temptations to go away from what God created it to be, which means what? Which means mental health is not something that you can't talk about. Mental health does not mean you're not a Christian. Mental health does not mean that the devil's inside of your brain. Mental health is health. Mental health is health. There's two types of people when it comes to mental health. Uh, that's probably a really broad generalization, so it's probably not true, but... For preaching purposes, it sounds great. Uh, But there's two types of people when it comes to mental health. Here's the first one. The person that deals with mental health slash illness. And what begins to happen with those people is they're, they're very quickly made aware of their mental disease. And either one or two things happen. Either they go find help because their parents make them or they just reach a point where they they really need help or they'll try to struggle through even though they know something is not right. But then the second type of person is a type of person who doesn't believe in mental health. You encounter these types of people in church all the time. 
It's just something you can pray away. Hey, young brother, all you need to do is just lay hands on your mind and your brain and your heart and your soul and your spirit. And God, <laughs> God is going to take it away. See, those types of people are just simply unaware that mental health exists. Statistics say that one in four people globally deal with a mental illness. 25% of the entire world, they deal with a mental illness. Split personalities, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, OCD, I mean, anxiety, suicide, depression, all of these things are wrapped up in, in this, 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 this umbrella of mental illness. One in four people are dealing with that in this room. Check that out. But here's a, a truth statistic. Four in four people are dealing with mental health. Every single person in this room, you're dealing, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware or not, you're dealing with mental health. It may not be an illness yet, but you are struggling through, you are powering with, you are following behind, you are dealing with mental health. Right? I don't know the statistics on how many people are sick in the, in the world, but tons of people are sick, right? Tons of people are dealing with diseases. Tons of people have issues wrong with their body. But every person is dealing with the health of their body. But for so long, a stigma has, has been cast over mental health that people think it's something outside of the jurisdiction of, of, of science and of, and of health and of, of what's happening and what's going on in your body. When the truth is, listen to me, and look at me, especially if you're dealing with a mental illness, you are not broken. You are not different. You are not messed up in a way that's beyond repair. You are dealing with a fallen and broken world that's happened because of Adam and Eve and the decision that they made. And now the fact that sin reigns over our entire world. I've heard this said and it broke my heart to somebody. Well, you're dealing with that specific mental illness because you sinned. And so many people in this room probably believe that. I'm dealing with depression because I messed up. I'm dealing with suicidal thoughts because I made a mistake. Here's the truth. If we look at scripture, it doesn't say that. The truth is, here's what scripture says. The scriptures say that you're dealing with your mental illness not because you sin. You're dealing with your mental illness because of sin. And that is a massive shift in how the church has talked about and dealt with mental illness. Because the truth is, we've always tied mental illness and placed the onus on our own shoulders. When the truth is, mental illness is in this world because we live in a fallen, broken, desolate world controlled by sin. You're not different than us. You're not different than me. You're not different than the person sitting next to you because you have a different type of mental illness than I do or somebody else does. Look, we are all subject to this. Listen to me. There is no stigma to be cast. According to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it's to be expected, as a matter of fact. It's to be expected. I want to clear some things up tonight, and I feel like this is the perfect way for us to, to, to kind of launch this series. Because tonight, here, here's a common misconception about church. And I'm going to go through a few more misconceptions. People come to church thinking that if they listen to a couple of mis- messages... If they hear a pastor give a really, really great word, and if worship is on point, and if their emotions are stirred, that everything in their life will be different. They'll be free. Sin won't happen anymore. They'll stop going out on Thursday nights wanting to meet people. Like, they, they just think that like, if I come to church, everything's going to be fixed. That's not true. I don't preach messages that are going to fix you. I preach messages that are going to invite you onto a journey. 
This is not the end goal. I can't, listen to me, I'm not good enough to preach a message that could change and fix all the problems that you have in life. What I'm inviting you on is a journey. Walk with me. Let's find out what the Bible says. Let's, let's dig into the text and find the, the one thing that's been, that's been proven to show you light. The same thing is my goal with this mental health series. I'm not trying to fix you. If you came in here with suicidal thoughts, I'm not trying to fix you. If you're dealing with depression extensively, if it was hard for you to even walk in the building, I'm not trying to fix you. If you have social anxiety and right now you're like bursting at the seams and you want to walk out of here, but you know something's keeping you here, I'm not trying to change you. I'm inviting you on a journey to a God that can change you. I'm inviting you to meet with a Savior that, that, that albeit, can fix you. I'm just a guy. And as you're going to see later on in this message, I'm struggling too with this very thought. Let's walk on a journey together. Is that cool? Can we do that? Perfect. I want to debunk some myths about mental health tonight, okay? Uh, so just stay with me because some of these things uh, people in the church deal with, some of these things people in the church say, some of these things people outside the church say and people outside the church deal with. So I'm, I'm going to kind of debunk some of these myths, and uh, this is how we're going to kind of start and kick this series off. Here's the first one. Here's the first, first myth, and the, the sad thing about this is I've, I've heard this said a lot. I've, I've even seen people try it, uh, but this is just something I need to go ahead and squash right now. Here it is. Here's the first one. You can just pray mental health away, Right? Right? If you've heard this one before, just raise your hand real quick. The last thing somebody dealing with a mental illness needs to hear is, hey, hey, buddy, just pray. Like, really hard pray. And when you wake up, everything's going to be gone. You're going to be free. Chains broke. Gone. Done. Is that the first thing you say to somebody with diabetes? Is that, is, that, is that the first thing you say to somebody with pneumonia? Hey, I know you're literally about to die. Just pray real quick. <laughs> and I'm not diminishing the power of prayer because I've seen mental health be healed through prayer. I've seen that. I've seen that. But this is not the first pass that you take at it necessarily in your vocabulary. What I'm saying is, the, the only solution to mental health is not just prayer and God to do something miraculous. Because there's thousands and billions and trillions of broken arms, legs, uh, elbows, wrists, and fingers that go to the hospital and allow science and medicine to help mend the broken bones or fix whatever disease is happening. Every mental illness is not purposed to be prayed away. God hasn't purposed to do a miracle for everyone dealing with mental illness. Because if that were the case... If that were the case, disease would not exist. If that was the, the, the case, death would not be in the world. But according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, death is in the world because sin got into the world. Now everything's broken. Can God redeem in a second somebody who's been dealing with a, a mental illness for years? Yes, most definitely he can and he does. But if every single disease hurt pain, was taken away. We just call this heaven. It's not. Guys, it's earth. And sometimes things are going to hurt. And sometimes even when you pray them, they don't change. 
Some of you guys who are old school church, I know you're looking at me because you're like, the gifts are alive, Jared. I know they are. I agree with you. God does do miracles. He does do healings. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in this church. Don't get me wrong, but let me give you some biblical basis for this. Look, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, uh, this is the same guy who wrote Romans. This is the same guy in Ephesians who says, I can't wait to see the passing glory of my Savior. Death Come for me. I love Jesus. I don't care. This is the same guy who wrote Romans chapter 5. This is the same guy who wrote in Romans chapter 8 that no matter what happens, God works everything out for the good of those who love him. This is the same guy. Now let's read his writings in 2 Timothy. I mean, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 through 9. It says, three times, Paul, three times, Paul pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And this is what he was talking about. He says, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is, this is Paul saying, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, this passage of scripture uh, is immediately follow, following Paul describing this interesting thing that happened to his, in his life. What happened is uh, we really don't, theologians and scholars have debated about this for a long time. But what happened preceding uh, uh, Verse 8 was that Paul describes something that the Bible says is a thorn that's in his side, okay? Paul starts talking about this thorn that's in his side. And then he says in, in verse 8, go back to verse 8. After he talks about this thorn, he says, and three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, right? You're like, man, only three times? You could have kept praying, brother. You never know what could happen, okay? But he says, three times I pleaded. For the Lord to take it away. And obviously the Lord didn't because here's what it says in verse 9. It says, but he said to me, this is God talking back to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect even though you're dealing with that thorn right now. Even though you're dealing with that thorn in your side. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I don't know about you, but if there was a, Paul says there was a thorn in his side, so it would have probably been somewhere near his hip if it was physical. Some people believe that it was a spiritual battle. Some people believe that it was a mental disorder. Some people believe that it was something holding him back. But I'm just going to take the, the, the Bible at face value. It said uh, in chapter 6 and 7, it was talking about this thorn that was in Paul's side. Now, the thorn, especially back in those days, because men were required to work, they, weren't, they were required to look strong and be the protectors. Uh, if there was a thorn in, in Paul's side, uh, could it have been that he was talking about something that caused him to limp, right? Something, if there was a thorn in your side, you couldn't walk like you didn't have a thorn in your side because there's a thorn in your side. So the way I always read it, because I didn't want to take the Bible and throw some imagination in there, I was like, well, Paul probably just had a literal giant thorn from some mega rose bush just stuck in his side and just walked around with it bleeding out. I don't know if that's the truth. I'm just assuming, right? But if you have a thorn in your side, the, the truth is you're probably going to have to walk with a limp. So Paul is dealing with this pain and says, you know what? God, take away this limp. Take away this thorn. I don't want to be impaired like this anymore. I want to be whole. There's a thorn in my side. There's two things that are pretty obvious about a limp, right? One is that you have a limp, right? That's the first thing that's obvious about a limp. You simply just have a limp, which probably means that at one time or another you were hurt, right? This hurt, therefore I now have a limp. There's a second thing that's pretty obvious about someone with a limp. Here it is. They're still going. No, y'all didn't catch that. See, the first thing that's obvious about somebody with a limp is that they used to be or are hurting. The second thing that's clearly obvious, because to walk with a limp, you have to be able to 
walk. The second thing that has to be pretty obvious about somebody with a limp is that they're not stopping. See, the truth is, I've heard this over and over and over again. People think, one, God gave me this mental illness. That's not true. If you're dealing with mental illness, mental health at all, God did not give you those issues. God did not make you anxious. I hate pointing back to the scripture again, but I'm going to do it again. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, listen, it says everything is broken now because of sin. God did not give you what you're dealing with, the circumstances that cause you to deal with that mental health. He did not give that to you. God didn't, and moreover, because you're dealing with that, it's not your fault. God's not to blame. You are not to blame. Sin is to blame. But I hear so often, like, if God loved me, he would just take this, 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 this thorn in my side, this, this disease away. But here's the truth. Because we live in a fallen, broken world, that doesn't always happen. But the truth about a limp is you're still going. The truth about dealing with mental health right now is you're still going. So, so maybe can, can I propose a question to you? What if God didn't take away whatever mental illness you're dealing with? What if his purpose was to use you to show other people with mental illness that they can be used in the same way you were used? See, what if you're supposed to walk with a limp because God meant you to be a walking testimony? What if God wants to use you through your weakness to look at everybody else and say, you know what? Yes, I'm dealing with suicidal thoughts. Yes, I have attempted suicide. Yes, I'm dealing with depression. But here's the truth. I'm not done because God didn't say it's done yet. And I'll keep walking with the limp no matter what happens, no matter what other thoughts try to come into my mind. I'm not broke because I'm hurting. God can redeem me and he can still use me. So some of you guys that have prayed more than three times, God, take this away. God, take this away. God, take this away. Maybe can I give you another prayer? God, if this is going to stay, keep using me. If this is going to stay, make me perfect in my, in, in my weakness. God, if I'm going to continue to have to deal with this, let me be a light through the darkness. So many people want to wait till it's light to be a light. So often people want, want, want to wait till it's light to show people hope. My challenge to you is through your dark, keep being a light. Even when things seem hopeless, keep showing people hope. And I'm not telling you to fake it. I'm not telling you to put a smile on. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. Let them know that you're hurting. Let them know that you were hurt. But let them know that God made you to be who you are. And one day you're going to be reconciled with him and everything's going to be okay. But we want to be healed now. God, heal me now. What if it's not in his purpose? What if it's not today? Are you willing to allow him to use your weakness to make sure other people see hope? Romans 8.28 says, For God works all things out for the good of those who love him. That means it wasn't his fault that you're dealing with this. But guess what? It can be his hand that uses your hurt to make sure nobody else gets hurt. Second misconception. The first one is you can just pray mental illness away. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. I'm in this alone. I'm in this alone. There's a certain stigma around mental illness. And I... 
I can say confidently that I've bought into it uh, before. And I was afraid to maybe show, share my struggles, and I, I was afraid to maybe be honest about what I was dealing with. And I know what you're saying right now. You probably have posted something really brave and courageous on Instagram, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like so often people share things on Instagram and fail to share them to a person who needs it. Because usually it's not your followers that needs it. Usually it's your coworker that's going through something similar. Just shoot them a link to your post or something. And that's not to diminish the bravery around posting things on the Internet. But people are rarely changed from a post. They're usually changed through people. Right? I remember dealing uh, with something that only, I've definitely never preached about it, and only a few people about this, a few people know this about me. Uh, I I dealt with a severe panic attack that put me in the hospital. And I remember going through this, and and, uh, I felt like I was about to die. I literally felt like it was the end. I couldn't breathe. Uh, My chest felt heavy and uh, I just felt, I called my wife, and I was just like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to make it. i got to make it to the hospital. Uh, So the ambulance came and picked me up. They checked my vitals. They checked everything, and they were like, you're a healthy uh, swole. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Just kidding. They didn't say that. Um, They were like, you're healthy. Nothing's wrong with your heart. Uh, I think everything's okay, Mr. Darby. And um, I remember in that moment, after six hours ago, feeling like I was two inches from the grave, to six hours later feeling completely normal, feeling embarrassed, feeling like uh, I wasn't strong enough. I felt like the man that I portrayed was not the man that I was because I was dealing with this because if my meditation and my, and my reading my word and all these different things, I, I'm a, guys, I'm a preacher. I do this for a living. I don't deal with panic attacks. You deal with panic attacks, and I counsel you about it. But this was me sitting on a hospital bed going, God, how is this happening to me? How is this happening to me? And I, I cried because I didn't want to tell any of my buddies. I didn't want to let them know that I was weak. I didn't want to let them know that something happened to me that wasn't in my control. And in that moment, God just broke me. God broke me. You want to know why? He said, son, this is not happening because you're weak. This is happening because nobody was meant to carry the weight that you're carrying. You were always supposed to be walking with God. And because earth exists the way that it does, we're not in the type of connection with God that we want to be. What he looked at me and told me was, Jared, this doesn't mean that you're less than. You're okay. This doesn't mean that you're weak. You're okay. I love you. I began to talk to my wife about it. I was honest about how embarrassed I was. And she said, why are you embarrassed? People need that story. I said, why? She said, because there's some people who think that they're strong that don't understand that they're one step away from being in the existential crisis that's going to com- so seriously hurt their mental health, they're going to miss everything that they have. See, some of you guys walked in today not even knowing that there's something going on with you, but the truth is you know even when nobody's looking 
Something's wrong with you. See, there were signs leading up to this panic attack. I was dealing with stress in a way you couldn't imagine. I was putting pressure on myself. I was so anxious and wouldn't call it anxiety. And there's people in here tonight that need to understand that mental health is not weird. If you're dealing with mental illness, let me let you know something. You're not alone. You're not alone. And in my shame and in my hurt, I thought I was by myself. But the truth is, God was always there. My, my people, my foundation of support, my community, they were always there. But when you go through something like suicide or depression, you're so ashamed of talking about what's happening and what's going on in your heart that you keep it all to yourself and you think nobody can know this because if they do, they'll know that I'm messed up, that I'm broken. But the truth is, you never so desperately need people as when you're dealing with mental illness. See, the truth is, when people go through mental illness, what they really want to know is that I'm going to be better in the future. I'm not going to always have to deal with this. So they, they crouch down, they hunker down, and they say, maybe if I just wait it out, the thoughts will pass. Maybe if I just wait it out, this illness will go away. It won't. It won't. But there's a God who can meet you right where you are. And practically, there are people in this room, there are small groups that can meet you right where you are. We have access to counselors for you that can meet you right where you are. You don't have to deal with this by yourself. Stop trying to take it all on your shoulders as, as if, if you do it, there, there, there's some big prize for you because you got through and you're strong and you just, hey, kept going even though you're sick. People that are sick don't keep going. People that are sick get healthy. And that's why we are doing this series. As a, as a generation, we've got to change the narrative about this. It shouldn't be this hard to talk about. You dealing with ending your life should never be a secret. You dealing with severe depression where it's hard just to walk out of the bed, that should never be something you're embarrassed to tell somebody about. Guys, as a generation, I want us to commit to changing this narrative, especially in the church. This has to go away. As you grow up, just every time you hear something that makes mental illness sound like a stigma, I want you to destroy it. Because it's the one thing right now holding our generation back more than anything else. They say we are the most anxious, depressed, suicidal generation that's ever been. And the reason why is because every single one of us at some point or another have felt alone. You can deal with clinical anxiety and not let it overtake your life, but not by yourself. So tonight, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for this series. I want to pray for the narrative that has been over this mental health topic for so long. I want to pray that God breaks that in the name of Jesus. And I also want to pray for every single one of you that are dealing with something like this, that God brings you support, that God brings you comfort, and that God is allowed to use you in a way that's going to change your life forever. And so every head bowed, every eye closed.